Recorded high above the veldt in the Blackjack Casino, it's the RF Generation Nation podcast, The Big 1-0. I'm your host, Jess. You can find me in the rfgeneration.com forums as Slacker. And this is Adam. You know me as BigMan2K. And we rounded out uh, our fellow co-host, Amy, again. Hello. And our additional co-host hardly needs an introduction. I am genetic life form and disk operating system. Observation of test subject communication is an important part of the enrichment center protocol. We have what's new on channel 3 at RF Generation. Got a little bit of uh, gaming news. A couple of our recent gaming shoutouts. We're also going to throw in a little bit of uh, game music shoutouts this time. And of course we'll round out with our classic top 5. So Jess, what's new on channel 3? Well, we have Single Banana covering Pengo and Laser Gates for the Atari 2600. I knew Pengo as a Commodore 64 hack called Chili Willy, and I had a blast with it. Didn't actually realize it was the same game until just recently. So, GLaDOS, did you actually grow up on an Atari? The presence of sophisticated electronics is not permitted by test subjects in the Aperture Science Facility. The Atari Video Computer System is not sophisticated electronics. We plugged it in and laughed. And laugh. And laugh. Uh, yeah. And Noise Redux covers Platypus on the PSP, a quirky claymation shooter which ends up translating to an average game, but worth it for a cheap price. I'm going to let you take this first gaming news bit since, uh, since, Mr. Adams, since you're such a, <laughs> such the Duke Nukem fan. <laughs> well, let's flash back to every year since 1996. Duke Nukem Forever was delayed. What are you waiting for, Christmas? But only until June 14th. Turn that frown upside down. Here we go again. Um, It's only a month, but it seems like it's something where they're at least coming out and saying, hey, we got to delay the game instead of not actually... Saying anything at all. Anything at all. (laughs) I've heard the speculation, and I even thought of it myself before I read it, that it almost feels like this is just a, a fake little purposeful <laughs> let's get the last little bit of delay hype we possibly can here and uh it's only a month they, they they'll forgive us eventually and really it all i mean it moves us from two months back to three months again but with you know after after 14 15 years it's really just not that big of a deal at this point it's the home stretch still <laughs> i'm wondering who's going to show up to a GameStop who had the reserve since 96 and go another month forget it put this over on the new call of duty Breaking away from our norm just a little bit, uh, we've also got a story coming straight out of CNN. Breaking news that the Nintendo 3DS graphics do not look as good as a PlayStation 3 game. Get out of here. And what's worse, apparently it has such archaic technology as a stylus for controlling your games. And also these bizarre contraptions called carts to store the actual game information on. Heaven the likes forbid. Of, the likes of which never been seen since the Game Boy, pretty much. Or the Palm Pilot. I thought this was an April Fool's when I had first read the, the quotes until I watched the actual CNN video for this. The reviewer, JP... I know I'm going to mispronounce this. It doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> He's been flamed so much. There, yep, just keep it going. <laughs> Mangaladin, um, J.P. Mangaladin, 
self-proclaimed hardcore gamer who grew up on Halo. I'm not going to even touch that one. <laughs> he approached this now. Now, this was on, I believe, CNN Money, which was the first kind of clue that, wait a minute. Now, I mean, obviously, CNN doesn't have a, uh, a carved-out gaming channel. You know, they don't need one. It's not really what they they tend to cover, but they're... It didn't even seem like they were immediately approaching this from a from a tech angle. Uh, they were looking at this from kind of a, a what they assumed to be a pop culture angle. They kept on referencing the iPod Touch, uh, the iPhone, and that the price point, uh, you know, was ex- exceptionally expensive for a device that only does one thing. Yeah, it, it's they were making comparisons that showed that the reviewer was not your typical gaming audience. Uh, there is, but he, there, the other thing is that he he kind of is the typical gaming audience, though. I mean, this is a game machine, so I mean, if you're you are a proclaimed hardcore gamer, that doesn't mean that you only play Call of Duty and Halo and first person shooters. That means, I mean, to me, hardcore gamer means you will play whatever it is. I mean, that's that, most people don't take it that way, obviously, but. Since it was seen in money, I think it was kind of a, I mean, I almost see it as more of a, what's Nintendo going to be able to do with this type of, you know, selling of this device? I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what all has, what else has been on CNN money, but... Obviously not the DS, since he thinks that there hasn't been anything that used a stylus since the Bomb Pilot, or cartridges since the Game Boy. I mean, that's also surprising, I mean, because the DS prints money... Right, I mean, it's uh, that yeah, that's the other. Th- I mean, the fact that he hasn't played ADS since it's been out in six years is really. The, I mean, it, it, he acts like by saying those type of things that he hasn't even seen the DS. Like he has been hunkered down in his room uh, mastering Halo, and then that's it. It, it, to just kind of ignore what Nintendo's done to the handheld market is well, that's, kind of bizarre to me. Well, that's the exact problem, though, is he's co- not comparing platforms accurately. He is comparing the handheld platform to the console platform. He's trying to say that a handheld device doesn't look as good graphics-wise as a console device. And and he, even and he's proclaiming himself to be a hard hardcore gamer and even a casual gamer can know that 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 analogy just uh does not work at all and well he he, it's strange because he 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 claimed to be a hardcore gamer that grew up on halo but then in terms of competition uh you know i mean he mentioned yeah graphics aren't as good as a ps3 um but then he went on to constantly compare it to uh mobile devices like the the iPad, the the iPhone, the iPhone Touch, saying that uh, you know it's it's priced more than than these are, which you know if you factor into your contract yeah, or an yeah, iPad, looking at purely yeah. subsidized price, yeah, it it's, but it is. But I, I can see why he's confused that Nintendo didn't offer to bundle more services. Like the PSP has you know a lot more of a range of of things you can do with it. Uh, it also wasn't as successful as the DS, and you know you've got. You've got a different category of games on your iPhone, on your iPad, on those kind of mobile devices. You have app stores where you can buy games for a dollar, for for five dollars, 
And Nintendo went out of their way to say that, look, this is not the market we're competing with. We, we, we're charging 30 and $40 a game because we believe in maintaining a certain kind of level of gaming quality. Now, that's not to say you're not going to have a blast with a dollar, $2 copy of Angry Birds, but what it means is that there's a, a sustained platform that they're working on, and it's a different market. Now, Nintendo has been definitely aiming towards that casual market that the iPhone has captured, but they've also met with success with the DS, and this reviewer didn't seem to be aware of that whatsoever, didn't seem to be aware of the huge demographic that the DS has completely conquered mm -hmm. for the portable market. Now, there's bleed over directly with the, the iPhone, the other mobile markets, and that's where the, you know, Sony's even addressing that with the Xperia at the same time as their next uh, portable PlayStation. So, you know, it, it's, it, there's tie-in there, but it seems like uh, the biggest flaw with this guy's reasoning is that he pretended like the DS didn't exist for some reason. Well, I think he was also trying to point out that um, the 3DS really isn't supporting a lot of uh, downloadable content or trying to um, do it to the detriment of other platforms such as the PSP or even the mobile devices, the iPod Touch and the iPhone. Um, the trouble with that, though, is... Really, the 3DS is nice because you can have everything you need in that device. You get your game, you pay your 30 or $40 for a game that you select that you want, and then you have everything without having to download a patch, without having to download extra content, and then you're not hooked into some type of broadband-dependent technocracy, which is certainly not the availability in certainly some parts of our country um, that don't have as as ready access to broadband and other places like that. And he seemed to not understand that this is a selling point of the DS to be able to have all of that in one device without necessarily having to depend on downloadable content um, with uh, devices like the PSP Go or with our mobile devices. It, it also seems like he's completely oblivious to the... the the DSiWare, the actual downloadable content you do have. You do have these mini-games, uh, these, you know, like, smaller downloadable games. Uh, they have a, they have their equivalent of an app store for that, you know, exclusive for a gaming platform. So they even do have um, a, a downloadable market. And, and for his confusion that they still used carts on there, uh, just, yeah, it really showed to me that he, he seemed to be kind of looking at this from the wrong angle. And, and really, to be fair... Um I do remember seeing, you know, before the 3DS was, as it was kind of being um, brought up and announced and everything, that that there were a lot of reports coming out that they, it was going to have 360-level graphics. And that is, you know, to be fair, that was said by, you know, whether it was rumor, I don't think necessarily a Nintendo came out and said that. I'm not positive, but... Um, that was definitely the rumor, and to that's even to say something like that, it's it's still going to be um, fairly a you know it's going to be kind of a similar graphics on a smaller screen though. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't make you can't try and pump out you know millions and millions of triangles and still put it on a a fairly small low res compared to your 1080p 50-inch screen. Well, even with all of the power that the PS3 has, it still takes a degradation when you run it in 3D, just by nature of its design and the technology. Mm -hmm. You're rendering basically two different screens uh, simultaneously 
I mean, there, there's, there's, it's more technical, but you, you know, most of your games like uh, you know, Gran Turismo, um, Killzone, that runs at a higher frame rate, you switch it to 3D, you, you've pretty much halved your frame rate because the engine has to render these two different, uh, uh, two different properties simultaneously, and so the performance has to take a hit somewhere because you've only got so much bandwidth that this thing is designed for, and so you still take performance hits even with something like the PS3 rendering in 3D, and Nintendo, it's they they've had an analysis from some tech guys that showed that they're assuming right now that the 3DS costs around a hundred bucks or so in hardware for Nintendo to make. And at first, just like a lot of people who are perhaps less familiar with how Nintendo tends to do this kind of thing, Nintendo always sells their hardware to profit Im- uh, immediately. Uh, that's always been part of their their business model. The beauty of it only costing a hundred bucks on this thing, you know, it, it's relatively low tech compared to what the uh, Sony's new portable offerings are. But at the same time, as soon as these new devices are on the market, Nintendo has the ability to cut down to a two hundred dollar system, to a hundred and fifty dollar system. They're going to make their initial profit off of these first gen adopters, mm-hmm. and then they're going to be able to stay price competitive without taking any losses. As soon as the market kind of catches up competition-wise, as soon as they release their new mobile devices, it wouldn't surprise me if you suddenly saw a $25 uh, price cut, a $50 price cut off of the 3DS, because Nintendo's already made their money off of the early adopters. It's The thing got twice as many reserves as the Wii uh, in North America already, right before it launched. So you know Nintendo's going to be making money off of the early adopters, and then they can adjust accordingly later on. To me, it's a pretty sound business strategy. And you guys know as well as I do that the uh, variety of launch titles also has a lot to do with um, people trying to compare graphics as well. You've got the launch titles that are um, primarily designed in like cell shading effects or um, hand-drawn graphic effects versus the ones that have more of the um, full motion video, very good computer uh, um, rendered um, types of graphics as well. So... If you try, if you're trying to compare Nintendogs to <laughs> um, Uncharted Portable, exactly, it's not. It's going to be comparing apples to oranges, and and that's not a fair set of comparisons either. Yeah, the Pilot Wings is one of Nintendo's own offerings, and it doesn't look like a very graphically impressive game. But then again, Pilot Wings on 64 was somewhat impressive, but it, they never, you know, that that series has never been known to just, you know, completely push the tech limits. They they showed new technology. Uh, the first Pilot Wings showed off um, Mode Seven. They're, you know, they're not necessarily impressive games to go back to, but that has a lot more to do with the art style. You know, they're not trying to push the the best graphics with this. And and like Amy said, uh, the, these are part of Nintendo's typical stylings for for graphics that's hard to compare. Not only that, by the time these other mobile platforms are coming out with the ne- their next generation. Um, they're going to be back on first-generation software where Nintendo's already producing the next generation of their titles on the 3DS, so that next generation's going to be looking a whole lot more impressive. You know, it, There are games coming out for the DS that graphically look you know, way ahead of what they did that when the system first came out with, like, you know, pack picks. And <laughs> it, it's... The, Nintendo, by being first out of the gate, is going to be able to be on the next generation of, of software a lot faster and show... You know, a little bit of catch-up to the, the their graphics department. The other thing about 3DS is that I mean, it's as of recording, it is now officially out, and I have you know I have not been into the store yet. 
until I actually get there and see it. I mean, I, I'm man. It seems like a killer concept, and based on a little bit of experience with a no glasses 3D uh, digital camera that I got to play with at a Best Buy, the tech seems very cool. But by looking at just screenshots of these things, I mean it could be hard to you know determine too. I, I, granted, he's not looking at screenshots; he's actually using the system. But um, for the 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 person that may be just looking online to look at look up screenshots, look what game looks cool or whatever, some of these may lose some of that in a a still. Yeah, I'm happy that uh, some of the better review sites have a little disclaimer. This is a 2D image of a 3D game, just mm-hmm. you know, reminding you it's going to look different when you're seeing it in person. We got to tinker around with a, a 3DS last night, and unfortunately it had a couple of dead pixels on it, so the, the fellow was taking it back and getting it replaced, which happened without any issue, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got our first you know, taste of it. Now my, my wife wants one desperately, and so... In the middle of a move, we're going to have to figure out how to swing for a 3DS. But uh, it, it something that kind of surprised me, just because I'd not seen the effects of the slider bar, is that when you had it about halfway, it actually seemed to have the, the clearest image of depth. Whereas if you had it maxed out, it looked just a little bit grainy. At least that was that was our experience. Both both me and Amy agreed that uh, you really have to play with that 3D slider bar to kind of get that sweet zone where everything pops just right. Just for you even, yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently you, it could even need to be shifted from title to title, too. The um, settings that may work for you on one particular game may not work for you on the uh, on another particular game. It was uh, very interesting to see uh, the effects of the um, 3DS camera with taking the uh, 3D pictures. That was very very nifty to watch. So, GLaDOS, as a sophisticated AI, what is your opinion about the difference between 3D gaming and 2D gaming? At the Enrichment Center, we have found it useful to separate test subjects into two classification classes. Those with two functioning optical receptors prefer testing in 3D environments. Test subjects with a single useful optical receptor appear to statistically survive 2D testing with greater frequency. More testing, as well as an optical receptor liberating non-human, will be required for future science. Now, and just... This is just a side note. Does anyone else think it's absolutely hilarious that the uh, new Sony PlayStation phone, the initials are Sex Play, Sony Ericsson Xperia Play? I'm sure that did not get lost on Sony Marketing. (laughs) I hope it did, because that would be, that would make for just a happy, fun time. That's like when we tried to release the Nova over in wasn't it wasn't it in, <laughs> in, in, in the Spanish-speaking countries? Yeah, which literally translates to no go. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see that Kevin Butler commercial. <laughs> and now, because it can't possibly do any less damage to our industry, Metacritic is rating humans. Right now, I'm sitting in an 83, but I'm hoping to get that bumped up a little bit by advertising more. Yeah, I'm hoping if I cull some of the uh, the lower-rated games in my collection, I can hit above 50. You get past a few thousand games, some of these old sports titles really weigh you down. <laughs> They're actually taking individual developers and what the games they've worked on, averaging those titles, and giving you a developer average. This has a host of complications. It's very easy to see how this could greatly impact a lot of developers' actual jobs, since... Metacritic is already used as a sliding scale for bonuses for some of these development teams, especially, of course, for for AAA titles. Uh, There's already been 
interviews of, of some of these developers who say that, you know, if we don't get 90 or above on Metacritic, then we don't get our bonus. Imagine how much more that could be filtered down to the individual developer. Not to mention, this is all taking... Uh, Metacritic is owned by the same uh, same setup as GameFAQs, and GameFAQs is where they're pulling off all of their information for this. Now, accuracy notwithstanding, there's already a lot of problems cropping up. For example, uh, Phil Frazier, a producer on uh, Madden NFL, he's a 12-year veteran of EA Sports, and he's rated a 73 because of three different versions of Madden 09. One of them the PS2 and one of them PSP. It's not an accurate representation of this poor guy's career. And yet, it's almost like you're going to a job interview, and somebody can pull up and say, hmm, I see for for our job, overall, you're a C. You know, what if you're part of a development team that has a AAA title? You know, <laughs> you might have done the font size for the title screen, and it gets rated a 90 on Metacritic. Hey, you've got a cushy job lined up. You know, there's so many bad directions this could go. What happens to the games that get, you know, necessarily poor critical ratings but are huge fan favorites, too? I mean, those are going to get lost in Shuffle 2 where, you know, we're, we're down to using a purely numerical value to say this is how good of a developer you are, this is how good of a producer you are, where the fan base may disagree with whatever rating the game is. I mean, you can look at some of that with uh, the user scores on IGN and the type of things that, you know, where you can look at a, a score and IGN gave it a 6, but the user rating is like an 8.2 or 8.5 or something like that. The, you know, to purely go by a, a single, in most cases, a single critic and what they say about a game, which, you know, that's, once they're all cobbled together, it may average out, but, you know, where, where a single critic could bring your score way down. Not to I mention... Mean, I see that, I'm sorry, it, I could see that creating some problems, too. Well, all of this is so interlaced in our industry anymore. The same Bethesda that published, for example, Elder Scrolls, also published the drag racing games on PS1 and PS2. <laughs> that You know, that you have a huge umbrella, and what if you've got a guy that's been jumping back and forth between development teams? You know, who knows uh, what all that guy got saddled into on one of his projects mm-hmm. that he had to, you know, he might, you could, this could totally uh, reform development teams because you've got a guy who's got enough clout to say, you know what, I just made a AAA game, they got a high review, don't you dare put me on next year's NCAA. You know, don't you dare put me on uh, any game for the DS that ends with a Z. You know, (laughs) there's so many potential problems with this because of how the development community, or really the publishing community, looks at Metacritic already. For example, uh, another angle too is you have a property like Myst developed by Cyan Worlds. Now, that was overtaken by, throughout its history, different development teams. And after its initial release, the sequels were met with, with varying degrees of acclaim. But they were kind of locked into that game style. People knew what they wanted to get when they bought a missed title, which was also why a lot of people derided the series afterwards. You know, What if you are one of these developers that picked up the next missed sequel? You might love the property, but by then... You're on the fifth title in the series. That ship has kind of sailed a little bit, and it doesn't have the same popularity it was. Even if it's a technical masterpiece of a Myst game, you've got an industry that's looking towards the next big thing, and Myst is no longer the next big thing. 
you're going to possibly be, you know, just killed for something for, for still making good design choices, for still being a good developer. You've got that arbitrary number that's going to be assigned to your career, but you know, depending on how this pans out, potentially forever. And let's move over to game shoutouts. This week we popped in the old classic Mario Party, actually number seven, and we had a blast. The series takes so much of a kicking because it really is a rehash every year that that, that they've produced one. But the mini games are always different. Uh, there are definitely some Mario Parties that are superior from one year to the next. And we tried out seven. We had a lot of fun. It's it still meets that perfect criteria for getting a couple of people who aren't into, say, Call of Duty. They're not into Madden. But they want to come over, hang out with their friends, and have fun. And, and in our LAN parties, we get that a lot. You know, we'll get a couple of hardcore people wanting to sit down, stay up all night, and play games. And then they'll bring their significant others or just some other friends that want to come and hang out with us. And Mario Party really is that, that perfect catch-all game. It's surprising how much fun you can still have with that. I, I sometimes forget how much we enjoy it until we pop it in every now and then. It was nice that you we could uh, adjust the number of rounds that we played as well. The uh, one time we played it, we played it for 15 rounds, and then another time we played it for only 10. So it was good to get a feel from how much of a commitment everybody in the group wanted to play. And um, it was interesting because the same guy that apparently always wins... Mario Party won both sessions of Mario Party. <laughs> yeah, we just for now on we just call it Pat Party because he's the only guy that ever wins. It's, <laughs> I'm serious. You can turn on every luck element possible for Mario Party, which I don't like. I like the skill based stuff. I like that it adds at least a little bit of luck for the you know so anybody can realistically win. Uh, so it it does add that dynamic that's still entertaining for people who aren't good at games because you know sometimes they just get the luck of the draw and, and it works out for them. It doesn't matter what we set this for. We could turn off Pat's controller, and this guy's still going to win. It happens every time. He's just a star magnet. So we had a lot of fun popping in the Mario Party, and another one that I can't recommend enough, if you find this, it's not going to be very expensive, and it's worth it if you have lots of friends with a DS pickup, Bomberman, it's that's just the title Bomberman. Uh, it was the first DS Bomberman title they came out with. You can have eight people playing off of one cart, awesome. and it doesn't take very long to transfer. We just did the old classic maps and the old classic uh, items, and you just don't you don't even have to be that good you know at gaming to. <laughs> to have a blast with Bomberman. It's so easy even for good players to mess themselves over, <laughs> and uh, it it was very, very entertaining. We were all jumping up and down on our couches with that. Yeah, Find a single copy of it, and then grab anybody that has a DS over. You'll have a, you'll have a great time. Along those same lines, another one that's really fun to um, get a group participation in is that uh, Pac-Man Versus um, with the GameCube and then hooking up all the GBAs. Um, it's, it has that neat suspense element because you have your own individual screens to see where you're guiding, and then you have the main screen to see what's going on, too. And that's really nifty. Um, and to be able to switch those back and forth, um, depending on who's the victor. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. To me, that's the best use of the GBA to GameCube uh, link cable. I mean, there's That's some just cool because with... people kept on throwing you off the cliff on Four Swords. <laughs> Four Swords is very cool, um, but I think that 
of just a you know pick up and play, sit down, anybody can get into it. Who doesn't know Pac-Man at this point? I love that one. I agree. It's if you have the setup for it, it's it's awesome. And another game shout out that I'm going to give is the multiplayer for Homefront, which my expectations for bounced around as I was reading previews before the game was released, and when it finally came out, I was able to uh, snag and play, and the single player is... The critics go back and forth on it. Most of them have rated around like a 7 out of 10. That's not going to be good on somebody's... uh, Metacritic score. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But what I did really love about it is the multiplayer, and it did get some high marks in review scores for the multiplayer element, but most people said, well, it's just like Call of Duty and Battlefield, and then wrote it off. I had a blast with it. I had a lot more fun with it than I did with uh, Call of Duty, mainly, I think, because it has a larger player cap for online. It has 32 as opposed to 16, and that, to me, is a lot more fun because I'm not that skilled of an online first-person shooter player. I don't have the... 60 hours a week to invest into playing online with with friends. And when you have that many people in an online match, it's a lot easier to kind of rush a hill with like eight other people at the same time and not feel like my whole army is depending on me not dying. You know, I can can choose a hill and kind of sneak out and and snipe just for fun. And if I miss a few shots, I don't have to worry that I was the reason we lost. It's got the co-op vehicle element, which I'm always a huge fan of, loved it in like Unreal Tournament and Battlefield series. Uh, it feels like a return to some of the PC greats that I used to play, and I got a lot of fun out of it. And it's got that progression perk-type system that Call of Duty is so notorious for that they're starting to inject in most multiplayer games. So I just had to put that out there as a game shout-out because the Homefront multiplayer is, to me, what Call of Duty has been for every other gamer that's been online lately. Just had to recommend it. I've been having a lot of fun with that. I don't like the online pass system because it means that that has broken down my LAN gaming structure. Now, they did the same thing with, of course, this is THQ, and they have the same system as EA, where you have to buy an online pass if you don't buy the game new. Now, that's not as big of a deal to me in terms of having to buy a new because... You know, I, I want to support developers that I like, and it's not a big deal that I would have to buy new copies of all these instead of just cheapening out the developer and buying a used copy. What bothers me is that the past system is tied into a particular account, and we have a lot of people that rotate back and forth through our LAN party. So if I bought, say, four or six copies of Homefront, I kind of have to pick and choose who gets those codes to get to only be able to play it. It's a progressive system. The more you play, the more you unlock for your character, not just to customize, but for weapons, for vehicle loadouts, for all of this stuff. It's designed to completely center around your progression as a player when you play online. Well, we swap people in and out of our land group all the time, and as many different games as we play in our land group, some people might only play Homefront for you know a couple of couple of times, maybe a couple of weeks before they move on to another game, and it's it's so frustrating that 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 now we can't just let anybody who wants to come in and sit down and play for a little while play. Even if I bought a legitimate copy of a $60 game, I can't just hand out that EA pass to every person who wants to sit down and play because they're going to want their own character, their own progression, their own leveling up, and I can't provide that for everybody. That would be so many... Uh, it would just be so frustrating. Like We don't have that problem with Halo or 
Lost Planet 2. You know, anybody can just swap in, play for a little while, and then switch over. Or if they're if they're leveling up their character or getting different things unlocked in, say, Lost Planet 2, it's all tied to their gamer card. They didn't have to buy a pass for it, but I still own a copy of the game, so you know the developers still got their money. It just bugs me that they're sticking with this online pass system between the AAA titles with the big developers like EA and THQ because that's kind of wrecked our, our land gaming. Uh, th- that's the reason why I didn't buy more copies of Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. I had a lot of friends who wanted to tinker around and play with it, but they always had to play on other people's accounts, and so I didn't buy a lot of copies of that because I didn't have enough online passes to give out to every person who wanted to start leveling up a racer. Not happy with that direction that they're going with. I understand that developers are trying to find a way to make you know to kind of cut the, the used gaming loss of profits out of their market, but the the pass system is is cutting into the way we do our land gaming. And what's what's even uh, worse about that is that the pass system effectively takes out a lot of developers' intended needs for the, the system link gameplay. Because if you can system link a bunch of your games, you know that, that kind of undercuts what they're trying to get at with the pass system. I've noticed that most of the games that require an online pass system don't, don't have system link play anymore. And that's particularly frustrating because that's our favorite way to play. You don't have to worry as much about network errors, and if we're having like six people over here all playing on a multiplayer game, what our lag is going to be like online if we're wanting to play just together. Mm-hmm. I love the System Link option. I've loved it since the original Xbox. It was one of the main reasons why we played so many Xbox games as opposed to, to PlayStation 2 games. The fact that now the online pass system is where most of these major developers are going to go, it's going to start eating more into that System Link option that they used to explore so much. I'm seeing fewer and fewer games with the System Link option, and it very much disappoints us. How do you feel about that, GLaDOS, about you know, multiplayer gaming and getting more people on it? Having more test subjects in an online gaming match is superior because more test subjects are virtually murdered. Virtually. And we're going to throw, for first time, our game music shout-outs. Actually, sorry. I did have a couple of... Yeah. Oh! <laughs> you mean you played something this I week. played a game! Actually, I did get... Now that it's no longer plus exclusive, because I still haven't gotten it yet, The uh, I got to try... On the PS3. That was... Um, graphically, it was very cool. <laughs> you mean graphically as in graphics, or graphically as in... Oh my gosh, you split that man in half. They have... Have, have you played it yet? I've seen it. I, I've okay. seen several videos. I didn't download... I don't have Plus, so I didn't download... Well, it's it's no longer it on Plus, so I mean, it's, it's up for whoever now. They have a new move called the X-Ray, where you build up... They have essentially kind of like a super meter on Street Fighter, and um, if you get then the you thing... you see the bones breaking, yeah. Yeah. That was... That reminded me of Blitz the League... When you are uh, <laughs> hammering people, where it sh- you know zooms in, shows that bone breaking and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was kind of a neat addition, but you know, actual the actual character graphics and stuff were very well done. Um, the control was a little bit strange because you know I'm I'm used to a in a Mortal Kombat game more of a quicker response than I was seem to be getting. Um, they have a there's a you know, I didn't really see the buttons. I'm trying to. I was trying to figure out kind of on the fly. The the moves are not really necessarily mapped to the same buttons that they usually were either. The you know Sub Zero's freeze is now down forward with a kick button. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing with that, but there you know you can. There's a button to change your stance. There's 
you know, some cool things that they're doing with it, but the control seemed to be a little bit slower than I remember the old 2D tiles and even 4 being. I also did finally, this is my first playthrough of God of War. Um, I'm playing it on the God of War collection on the PS3. Excellent. Very cool. I have only played long enough to get through the uh, Hydra in the first uh, level, but... You played the intro. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) And I played the PSP version, but, you know, I I figured I'd start with the first one and just kind of go through it. It's very enjoyable. It's a hack-and-slash kind of, you know, seems to be kind of arcadey kind of hack-and-slash kind of game, but there's some puzzles to it. Um, The control is very good, and the graphics, um, having been redone and remastered for... Uh, HD are uh, you can tell in that they're still kind of PS2 graphics, but they look very nice. Yeah, there's a reason why just about any third-person action game now is called a God of War clone. <laughs> Despite when God of War first came out, it was called a clone of several other action adventures before it. It just refined the experience with such minute attention to detail and excellent the, control. Yeah, the the fluidity of the game itself overall, just really won people over. Yeah, it's a game type that they shined to the point to where it's definitely, it it shows the standards that it was setting, the the attention that they put into it, yeah, and and it shows. I wish I would have had a uh, PS2 and uh, actually gotten the game back when it was first coming out. (laughs) Well, it, it shows that the quality is consistent throughout the series because to this day, I still hear different people saying different ones are their favorite. You'll hear champions of the first or second or third game in the series, uh, even the PSP titles, and mm-hmm. that's not something you, you get a whole a whole lot, especially with uh, the, the fact that the games themselves are so very close in terms of gameplay. You know, They didn't radically change a whole lot from one game to the next in the series, so the fact that they're all liked so much, you, know, you still have people say, well, the third one just wasn't, you know, but more than, often than not, People like the whole series and just ha- pick one of the three as their favorite. And there isn't necessarily just one that's universally praised as the best of the series. So that's always a good sign that they're all consistent with you know, something you could pick up and go all the way through. Well, now I think we're going to move on to um, do a little something new this time, do some game music shout-outs. Uh, have you got some there, Jess? Yeah, I'm glad that we are getting around to this section because both you and I are such avid game music fans and... What I've been listening to lately are the soundtracks to two gems from NG Dev Team, uh, basically a small two-man studio out of Germany that have been producing Neo Geo titles, and then they port them over to Dreamcast. And there's Last Hope and Fast Striker, both of them, which you could get a, a special edition that came with soundtracks. And if you like classic electronica techno trance type music this stuff is is wonderful especially last hope is very well known for for its soundtrack like uh, it's actually gotten a lot of praises out of the industry uh same i believe the same musician went on to go do uh like soldier x for the psn download Uh, he's he's done several game soundtracks but yeah they're fantastic if you can find a way to track down these games definitely get them with the collection edition soundtracks they're worth it I'm going to actually go a different way with this to start off with, instead of actually a game soundtrack. Some of the coolest music I find to listen to that I'll keep on the iPod or something like that is uh, typically game cover music. I've, I've I had that featured several times in the podcast, including at the beginning of this episode. But the one I want to bring up this time is actually a, um, a great 
it's now defunct game cover band called Eric's Little Shack. And they have 20 to 25 game covers on the website that's still up, still available for download. It's at ericslittleshack.tripod.com. And they have just a range of, of music from Super Castlevania to the Donkey Kong music to Final Fantasy even. Very well done. Most people have, you know, heard of some other ones. This I don't know if how well known um, Eric's Little Shack is, but you know, they're like I said, they're now defunct, but they have a lot of their stuff up on the website, and it's it's definitely worth a listen to. Excellent. And for our caption contest for episode nine, we're going to choose a voting system because we like democracy here at RF Generation Nation. We're going to be throwing up a ballot where you choose the best caption for Episode 9's picture. Check this episode's blog post for instructions on how you, the listeners, can choose the winner of the current caption contest. And in honor of April Fool's Day to our generation, we've got the top five reasons that cart games will always be better than discs. Number five, blast processing. Number four, you only needed some red-blue glasses and the select button to make Rad Racer 3D. Number three, I don't remember swapping cards to make it through Final Fantasy 3. Number two. Oh, hold up, Adam. We're, we're loading. Still loading. Loading. Um, I think it's installing something. Just go right to number one. And the number one reason that cart games will always be better than disc-based games. You can't get a PlayStation game going... By blowing on it. Well, that wraps up another episode of RF Generation Nation. We'd like to thank our co-host GLaDOS for phoning in. As always, if you guys have any show ideas, topic suggestions, comments, questions for us, just let us know at rfgeneration.com. You can also track your collection, read our goofy blogs, and find some interesting history and tidbits. Or you can even give us a call. At 318-RFG-TIP-5, that's 318-734-8475. You can also chat with us in IRC at Channel RF Generation on QuakeNet. And lastly, folks, just remember to keep it on Channel 3.